Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave. In our second episode of our summer break, we revisit another inspiring conversation I had with Isabella Raposeras. Isabella is a former Brazilian barista champion, founder of pioneering specialty coffee and education business, Coffee Lab in Sao Paulo, and one of the most accomplished female leaders in the global coffee industry. Welcome, Isabella. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Excellent. Well, I wonder if you give us a bit of background on your on yourself and how you came to work in coffee. My family went bankrupt. That's the beginning of the story. That's a good start. <laughs> and it was uh, in 2000. Actually, the bankruptcy was far before that. But it was 2000 when I really didn't want to drop out of college. And then I needed more money to go on paying for tuition because I am a psychology major. And then a friend of mine asked me to help her on a project that involved coffee. And actually, I, I got to know the guys from Ipanema Coffees by then in this project. And then a few months after the project was ready and going, they invited me to work for, for them. And that's how I began. That's how my coffee career began in Ipanema Coffees, which was a very good start. In 2000, and I was working for them, and I got to know coffee. It was more of an, a managing job, but but I, I like tasting things. And I'm, it's easy for me to taste things. And then I got really involved with coffee itself because um, it's so complex and interesting. Somebody um, convinced me to participate of the first Brazilian barista championship. I didn't want to, but then Alf Kramer is, is he convinced me to to join the competition, and then I did, and then I won, and my life changed. That was how it always started. It was 2000, and then 2002. There was this plot twist that actually led me to being coffee until now. <laughs> so it's been 22 years, Jeff. <laughs> and so you created what many people believe is one of the best coffee shops in the world. What if you tell us a little bit about Coffee Lab? It, it was never meant to be a coffee shop. Actually, I still don't think it is a coffee shop. It, it's amazing. Uh, people will say, but this, this girl is really weird. She started because of bankruptcy, because of money, and then she never wanted to have a coffee shop, and now our coffee shop is <laughs> one of the people's favorites. No, yeah, but that's maybe why. <laughs> maybe why, just because I didn't actually plan so much all that. I was so careful, and I'm really, I'm really afraid of going bankrupt again. So I'm really careful with everything I do, and I do. I really don't want to work with things that I don't feel comfortable with. And then I just coffee lab came. First, it was the school, and then. Coffee Lab is a school, actually. We're a school since. It's been 18 years that we officially opened as a school. And I love teaching. And I think for specialty coffee, which is such a brand new product in the world, it's so important to educate. <laughs> and I and I, I like education. And it's in my blood. So opening school... Was, it was a natural thing. It, and we teach over 2,000 students a year. It's a lot of people. 
And now they say, we, it's been a while, we, we have a lot of students and we teach roasting and baristas and home brewing and, and cupping and business managing uh, related to coffee, which is one of our favorite subjects nowadays. And then um, I found in 2003, I started studying roasting more deeply because I love roasting. This is my favorite subject in coffee is roasting because I think for us to be a good roaster, we need to be good, a great uh, cupper, this person that cups coffee. <laughs> and so we need to know that very well so we can buy coffee well, because in my opinion, 70% of the quality of the cup is the, the raw material is coffee itself is the green coffee quality the rest is for us i mean we are but we we're supposed to not to damage what the producer did and so i started i started uh, working with uh, roasting and studying and equipment i love equipment and i fell in love with roasting because first to roast well besides cupping well we need to know the culture consumption culture around uh where the coffee is going and the equipment's where it's going to be brewed, and all these decisions, they're so complex, and there are so many to be taken to for it to roast well, that I fell even more in love with roasting than before, I mean, with coffee itself. And then I, I, I felt the need to study and develop a methodology myself, and then I bought my roaster, I... I studied in, uh, with Team uh, Wendable, with Peter Dupont, uh, and so many others, I mean, before them. But that was when I decided to buy the roaster and to actually be Coffee Lab as it is today. Um, and especially to find some uh, producers that are amazing, that have amazing coffee, but didn't know that or didn't know how to how to sell their coffee better or didn't even know they have great coffee. That, that, that was one of my main goals is, was to find this, this hidden, so to say, coffee, uh, even for the producer themselves. And that's what we've been doing. Um, it's been rewarding to work with producers and, and seeing such an, an Paulo Coffee Festival full of people, full of consumers makes me so happy, especially because the more people consume and drink good coffee and especially coffee, the, the more the, the producers will really get well paid for the bags, which is not uh, common in, in Brazil, I guess. So yeah, then uh, Coffee Lab became a coffee shop just because we used to welcome people in our roastery uh, doing some uh, tasting and, uh, and tasting rituals, as we call them. Um, and they were so interesting that in four months, uh, the, the, the nominated us for the, the best uh, cafe prize, whatever. And we weren't even a coffee shop. <laughs> but because of these tasting rituals, we, uh, through the eyes of the consumer, we became a coffee shop. And then I just let that in and and became coffee lab coffee shop as well, but we're sort of different because we never we don't have a, a counter or a bar. We're sort of a lab, but it, it looks like a house, and it's cozy, but it's very 
per se mentor. No, um, uh, how do you say that? It's very methodological. And we wear overalls and we talk to the consumer very closely and they walk and they walk through our operation and our kitchen and it's all integrated. So that's that's what Coffee Lab is. It's our lab school weird coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely unique. I mean, I I must say, you know, I was when I visited for the first time, you know, I was had these amazing expectations and I walked in and it was sort of a real genuine element of surprise, especially that you didn't quite know whether you were walking within the back space or the front space. (laughs) And you kind of had to walk through technically a part of what could have been perceived as the kitchen uh, into another seating area, which was beautifully placed outside in the the street. And it was um, that sense of, I'm actually part of this. So that kind of co-creation, it was a very special experience. That's how you wanted it, or it's just an accident that happened? I wanted people to be in our lab. That's what I wanted. And I guess I, uh, our lab, okay, it looks like a house, but it's still our lab. And I wanted people to be around us while preparing coffee. And that I wanted that to be the, to be the way it is. And especially because since it's a new product, especially compared to what people are used to drinking in Brazil, our, our staple coffee is so bad. <laughs> and bad. I mean, people, no, 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 you don't know bad. <laughs> and and um, since it's so different, especially coffee is really, really different from what people are used to drinking. I needed to get them out of uh, comparing our coffee shop to other places they had been. So that is a sensorial experience. I mean, they if they get into a place that doesn't look like a coffee shop, they won't uh, be uh, trying to grab their, yeah, or, and actually not only compare, but grab. You need to, you, you stick to what you know, right? It's familiar, it's comfortable. So when people get into coffee lab, they, it's almost impossible to stick what you know to your repertoire. And so that helps us introducing a new, a new product. Because flavor-wise, it's a, new pro- it's a completely new product, but it, 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 the name is the same, <laughs> which makes it even harder. <laughs> wow. Very profound. You're a unique uh, human being. So... 23 years in coffee. Are there any plans uh, immediately in terms of what you'd like to achieve in coffee going forward now? Well, there are some plans and and dreams. I really, I never thought that I would say that. And for years and years, I, I said that I would never expand my stores because we are only one. But, and I, and well, you need to be suspicious when we're, you're too strong on never. That hides something, <laughs> according to Freud. So be aware. If you're too strong on never, there's something there. So now that the never is not as strong anymore, <laughs> I'm probably going on expanding some stores, because, especially because I'll be able to buy more coffee from other producers. And since we pay a great price, trade to the producer i mean from my bank account to theirs and that's for me very um 
exciting. And so being able to buy more coffees and expand, uh, make more people buy uh, and drink specialty coffee, especially to to have more producers in our group, that was what makes me go, want to expand and, and, and grow. And also the school and online uh, classes because there's no limit for online and that's so exciting for me. I love teaching. Yeah, no limits on online. The world has become smaller. I mean, when I was born, telephone lines were really expensive. There was no fax machine invented. <laughs> I'm from 74. I'm exactly from the same year when Edna Knudsen said specialty coffee and the art. So maybe coffee, especially coffee and I were born in the same year. Wonderful. Now, back to that point about the producers you really want. You're obviously very, very passionate about giving back to the people that made your coffee. How do you go about selecting a producer when in Brazil there must be literally thousands upon thousands of coffee farmers? It's about 300,000, about that, so around that. Out of all those people that would be wanting to sell coffee to you, how do you decide? It's about the coffee itself, of course, but it's about relationship. I need, uh, we need to get along. I mean, there's something in when the eyes cross. It's a relationship. I, I think companies, they need to be seen as beings relating. I mean, the company is a being relating to the consumer or to their customers. And that's how I see suppliers and companies as well. So their relationship needs to be healthy and trustworthy and good. And of course, the relationship of the producer with the, the environment has to be respectful as well. So that's all that I take into account. There are some coffees that I really liked in my life and I, I didn't like the producer, the person. <laughs> Not because the person was bad, but I, I just didn't get along and I didn't trust. Yep. So I didn't buy the coffee because <laughs> I, I, I want the relationships to be long. I don't want to be to change producers every year or suppliers. I need I want it to be long. I like long relationships. My family is so gypsy. I've I've lived in forty nine addresses in my life already. So Wow. So you counted that many. When it's too many, you count. <laughs> Incredible. Everything you seem to be doing seems to be anti business in, in a sense. <laughs> it's about educating, it's about looking after farmers, it's about absolutely precision and creating the best coffee and the best taste, which for me seems completely unbusinesslike and completely uneconomical. So how do you make a business out of all this? Well, I would have to disagree so much with you because our our numbers are, they say otherwise. Right. We have great numbers actually, even paying the producer so much more and, and wages as well because the the wage costs in Brazil are outrageously high for the employer, which actually gives them less money because we have to pay so many taxes here, not only labor, but so, so many others. But, but it's it's possible. It's possible to, to pay well suppliers and, and uh, staff and make good money. I mean, good money. We're 20% uh, net. Right. Last line for this kind of business is a lot. I mean, the coffee shop. Yeah, absolutely. But that that requires discipline. I mean, a little bit of courage of doing 
whatever uh, what people has haven't because people tend to do what they think the customer expect them to do. I don't know what the customer wants. <laughs> That's the worst way of doing business because the customer actually doesn't know what they want, especially when it comes to especially coffee, such a new product in the world. We need to tell them and to show them fun and nice and comfortable ways to to taste that product. So we are the ones who know and we can invite them into our world with smile, with a nice conversation because specialty coffee is not my business. My business is it's the subject of my conversation with the people that buy us. And product is not concept. So our concept is something that more and bigger than the product itself. No customer in the world buys product. Uh, they buy brands. <laughs> we buy brands. <laughs> we buy relationships. We don't buy product. So I love branding and I, and I love this business world. I never expected I would because I, I always said that I would never again, another never in my life. I will never be a business person. I will be a psychologist, blah, blah, blah. But then I became a business person. And in the beginning, it was so hurtful for my soul because in my mind, being a business person would be exploiting, it would be exploiting people. And I found a way to be a business person, make my money and respect others. And in the limit of that, capitalism allows us to do so. <laughs> And so I, I like business. I like, but you need to be disciplined. You need to respect your sense because that the sense are the ones that actually make you rich or take you bankrupt because you don't see them leaking. You see big leakages. You see big losses and you, you, you react to them very fast or sometimes not, but usually. But when the, the small sense and the small money is going is leaking and you, you you don't see that. So if you don't if you're not really careful, you don't make money. And especially in coffee shops. I love retail, food and beverage retail. I, I really do love nowadays and I consult for a lot of people in this. We need to be very smart with our sense and how we 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 organize our procedures so we can actually be careful with this with all the sense in and we don't we can't lose Anything that is excessive, we have to be smart on pricing, which I don't think smart, especially quality is being so much because we have a narrative of uh, of being special, of being traceable, and of course, and the farmer, and the family, and the taste, and the floral notes, and the nose, and the mouth, and blah blah blah. We have a rich and sophisticated narrative and we charge just a, a dollar over Starbucks, for example, or other whatever wave coffee shops around. So that's not smart. That's giving the consumer a double message. That's not good. So we need to be more smarter on on charging and not be afraid because people, again, there's a limit of buying things. Of course it is. But we deal with a, a, a product, in my opinion, that it's so affordable to so many people yet that if we don't charge as well as we tell the story, people will be suspicious about our story. <laughs> so the margins can be better. And people are so afraid of the customer. The customer is you <laughs> as well. 
<laughs> so if we just remember that we we're painting, we we're people relating, we're people relating, because every person is a person relating to you. That is a person that has the company. Uh, we we make smarter decisions, and we need to be very disciplined. I guess coffee requires discipline and precision. Money the same, and 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 the creativity and the the way you're gonna talk and express your your standpoint or your product. That's when you you need to be more creative and actually express yourself more. The coffee shops around the world they're so similar. The menus are similar, and we're just so young. I mean, as a, an industry, and the coffee shops already seem so similar. Why? That bothers me a little. So you really are the Steve Jobs of the coffee industry in a way. You know that that dare to be different. You can make very nice margins if you deliver an absolute incredible product that has authenticity. What is it in your mind the secret to the success of your brand? Well, having a really good designer branding, I mean, specializing in branding, it helps a lot. It's like it's like a therapist for your life. It's the it's the designer for your company because you are not able to come up with a a strong branding yourself, in my opinion. Even if you're a designer, for your own company, you need help from from people that is not in because. And you need to, if you're, if you're opening a company that is small, for example, a coffee shop, I tell my, my, my clients, like consulting clients, that you, in, if it's a small company, like a coffee shop, you need to express yourself a lot through the business in the beginning, because that would be really legitimate and singular, because you are singular. That person has a story that it's, it's their own. So that's so singular that if you don't express that in your business, that's stupid, in my opinion. So by singular, you mean unique? You're unique. Your story is unique. And then you need, why not use that as the raw material for the beginning of the construction of your brand? Because in the beginning, Coffee Lab and I, we were very alike. Now we're so different and we really have, I mean, we even have arguments, me and Coffee Lab. <laughs> and good conversations because we're different now. But Coffee Lab is 18 years old. I mean, it's an adult now. It knows what it wants <laughs> and where it wants me to take it. But in the beginning, we were very more close, like a child. So you need to, to have a good designer. You need to express yourself. You need to tell a story because really it's all about telling a story. Stories. Uh, it's always been Coca Cola when it began. Come on, somebody had to tell that story. <laughs> now it doesn't need. We don't need anymore. But somebody had had to tell the world what that dark liquid was. <laughs> Weird tasting. <laughs> so we have to tell stories, and our story is unique. So why not use it as material for your brand construction? And then, of course, I mean, the, the, the visual identity of that expression is the last thing you have to think. And people usually begin through the, the symbol, the design, the, 
the typography, the the the, how the, the, the font, or whatever. And no, it's the last thing. You have to know your personality, your values. That's not bullshit. That's real. <laughs> That's your main material to work. And then if you don't, if that doesn't become your your entrepreneur manual, you're failing. Because any decision that you make in your company, you have to consult your own manual. Okay, does it go with my company or not? Does it go with this values? No, but it gives you a lot of money. No, no, no. But it, it will kill you later if you go against your values. So you have always to decide upon financial, of course, and concept and strategy and branding. And never forget that if you have a business, it's about people. It's about managing people. So you have to like managing people. You have to. You can't run away from that because it's really about people visual identity of your brand you know in terms of first look a little fox and for me it feels quite friendly and as a sort of a first visual could you tell me why you chose that visual as the icon of your brand first of all i didn't the designers did i just uh, since i trust them i always tell them look i won't tell you anything the brief is you're free to do whatever you feel like because i trust you so my last name means fox in Portuguese. That's why. <laughs> and they come up with that, came up with that, not me. I wouldn't actually, may, probably not, have that idea. Because in the beginning, it was a, a cup with a fox tail. And then the rebranding 18 years later, the designer decided to keep the fox and, and get her out of the cup. And now it's sassy and, and charming and, and artsy. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, you, you also mentioned a really important part of business is actually managing people and you have to like that. How have you learned to become a leader? Was it a journey that you were on or was it instinctively from the beginning? You... <laughs> I wish. Now, it's not about a, a period. It's all it's all along. I mean, it, it was the second most hurtful thing in my life was managing people because I, I, I probably make all mistakes possible. I just didn't hate people. <laughs> and I wouldn't, but I made all mistakes and it's hurtful because managing people and being a psychologist and going to therapy, having to look to yourself so deeply that it hurts. So being a good leader, it's so, uh, it's really hard and it hurts. It's relating to people so people will poke your things and then if you're not if you're not uh, well uh, aware of that you're going to react to that poking and not and that's not good when you're managing people you don't react you 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 get to know yourself and then you don't react and then you you calm down and then you see what really matters after calming down and then you talk to people i mean the tone of your, your voice that for me i realized it was one of the the most important tools because I, I thought it was my intentions. No, 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 no. Okay, your intentions, they will only be perceived as good if your tone of voice, if you're, if you're really gentle to people, like you like people to be with you. So it doesn't matter if you have good intentions, if, if you don't express that in a good way. <laughs> I learned that a lot throughout the years and that's been really good for me. 
not only for my team and the 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 or organizational climate that would what we would say in in Portuguese, but I don't know in culture. Yeah, the culture. Yeah, the the, the atmosphere has to be as uh, as soft as it can be in because come on, we're not family. We're working together. I'm putting a lot of people together for eight hours every day, five days a week, and they don't. They never chose to be together. <laughs> If it's not soft, then the environment is not um, is not nice. Then you have burnout. Then you have uh, you have um, sabotaging procedures. They, you have a lot of bad things. What I do, eighty percent of my day is managing people. That's for sure. Eighty eighty percent of my day. So the things can be done in the way that is nice, and of course, letting people know that their their opinion is is their opinion is are important. Even though sometimes we're not be going to be able to to implement them, but sounds like you've learned a lot over the years, though. We're still learning. I mean, the more you learn, the more you have to learn. I mean, there's you. The more you, you still have to learn because it's a it's a geometric progression, right? Learning. Speaking of learning, what did you learn from COVID and the pandemic? Nothing is granted. I mean. When you think that your business is uh, secure and safe and stable, you're not safe. Every day taking a risk, a risk that I can't control 100%. The things I can control, I am trying to. But there are things that you don't control. So it's it's a humbling, it was a really humbling experience. Do whatever you can. Do your best. But no, that's not maybe. <laughs> that's not enough. <laughs> and that's actually freeing a little bit. <laughs> and is there anything you do in your business differently today because of COVID? I definitely pay attention more to virtual meets, of course. So now our our online store is getting bigger. Our delivery, we never had delivery because I don't like garbage. So I don't sell water. I don't sell plastic bottles. I give mm-hmm. water away. That's not common. So I don't. Because of garbage, so we we had a, a, a that was a huge issue for us, and then so we never had takeout or takeaway because of that. But now we do. <laughs> that hurts me a little. Yeah. But anyway, the more people can drink, especially coffee, the more the producers will be paid well. So that makes me compromise, and then it's okay because that's how I adjust by myself. <laughs> I was completely just blown away by the lines at the San Paolo Coffee Festival. Not only out the door, but even more impressive was the lineup of people waiting to meet you. Oh. And the photos and the shaking of hands and clearly you are, you know, a true celebrity in the world of Brazilian specialty coffee. And there are a lot of people that wanted to just meet you for the first time, have their photo taken with you. Why are they doing that? What is it that's special about what you've created? Well, I'm biased, but I think what I created is special. <laughs> I was also overwhelmed and impressed and surprised by that line. Really, I didn't expect that, really. So it was overwhelming for me as well. I'm still maybe digesting that because I didn't expect people in line for just say hi and they, and tell me that I changed their lives and their career. 
and the way they drink coffee and they just wanted to say hi and and give me a hug. Some people wanted to take pictures, but the the most amazing things were for most of the people didn't that have never been to Coffee Lab personally, but they they follow us in in uh, Instagram. And I don't know what to say. Maybe I'm very technical uh, at what I do with coffee, but I also think just maybe because I'm a psychologist, I know how to to translate that to non-geek people. I really dedicate. I mean, I I, I put a lot of effort into our social media. It's also discipline. <laughs> I mean, you have to. I mean, that's a job. You need to post. You need to talk to people. You need to respond. You need to to like what they do. You need to interact, and that that's hours of your day. So you need to do that, or somebody for you. But it, yeah, in my opinion, nowadays social media should be a lot into the owners or the CEO hands. I'm not afraid of doing things the way I feel. I feel that's one thing. Maybe that helps. I don't know. Thank you so much, Isabella, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you so, so much for the invite. It was such a pleasure. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Next week, we'll be back with our regular schedule. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please recommend us to a colleague or friend. And if you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter, collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Link is in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And we leave you with a song by Isabella's sister, Isadora Canto, and the song is Curanderas. I hope you enjoy it. Until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. <laughs>